0: morning. I'm going to pray before I start. (laughs) Father God, I thank you that you are good and you are faithful and it is by your spirit that you minister. So Father God, I ask that you minister by your spirit through the message that you've given to me today. Father God, that you would convince our hearts, our understanding of the truth of who we are in you. And Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this morning's message is Sanctification, the Greater Reality. (laughs) This morning, I want to talk to you about the reality of our sanctification and how understanding this truth, the truth about what it means to be sanctified, can change our choices. All of us make thousands of choices every day. And the truth is, those choices affect the quality of our life here on earth. Our choices are very important. What we choose to do in any given situation is in fact a seed that will produce a corresponding fruit. So our choices are super important. And we see this truth in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In the Amplified, it actually says that and that only <laughs> will he reap. <laughs> and I like that <laughs> because the truth is you can only reap or harvest what you've sown. You can't sow one thing and harvest something else. So the Apostle Paul is telling us here that the law of sowing and reaping still exists and that man cannot override it and God will not overwrite it. Now, he'll help us (laughs) deal with whatever harvest we have, but he doesn't eliminate the consequences of our actions. If we sow hate, we're going to reap hate. If we sow selfishness, then we will reap the fruit of selfishness. The law of the seed in Genesis says that seeds can only produce after their kind. We cannot expect to reap love if we're sowing selfishness. (laughs) If we think we can, we are deceived. (laughs) So we are deceived if we think we can eat whatever we want and not gain weight or stay healthy. We are deceived if we think we can treat people badly and not reap the consequences of treating people badly. We are deceived if we think we can slack off at our job and still keep it, (laughs) although I have seen it done. (laughs) But I have also seen those who were slacking off get fired, and then get offended that they were fired. (laughs) They get offended because they deceive themselves into thinking that the rules don't apply to them. They really think it doesn't matter how well they do or don't do their job. That's deceived. (laughs) This world does not operate on the principle of grace, which, of course, is God's unmerited favor. In this world, we have to earn or merit everything. Sounds funny, coming from a grace preacher, I know. (laughs) We earn horizontally. We earn honor. We earn respect. We even earn love. We earn trust. We earn promotions. We earn money. We earn friends. Yes, we even earn friends. How many of you are friends with mean, nasty, horrible people? Look at all those hands, stay down. (laughs) Usually (laughs) we're not friends with mean, nasty, horrible people unless God asks us to be their friend, which would then be grace. My husband said, unless of course they're in your family. (laughs) Those, yeah, we're their friends too. (laughs) But in this world, mean, nasty, horrible people don't have friends because They're not friendly. The law of sowing and reaping is still in effect in our natural world. Even Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 18.24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. (laughs) If you're not friendly, you won't have friends. It's a sowing and reaping. My point is that in this world system, we must do to get or do to become. And so our due is very important. And sometimes when people come into the message of grace, they mistakenly believe that it no longer matters how we live or what we do. Because of scriptures like uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, which says this, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if God is not counting our sins against us, then why not just let sin run amok in our lives? (laughs) Well, one reason is the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, ruin and decay. Nobody signs up for ruin and decay. (laughs) So the Apostle Paul is letting us know, whatever you planned, You are signing up for that. (laughs) But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Life everlasting is not what you get when you die. It's what you get when you get Jesus. You get God's kind and quality of life. And he says we can reap, we can harvest of that kind of life in our life here. The words to sow mean to take action. But before we take action, we have to make a choice. It doesn't say that we sow from the flesh. I usually say it that way. When someone is acting fleshly, (laughs) they're sowing from the flesh. And actually it's not true, it's to. We sow to or towards the spirit or to or towards our flesh. In other words, we respond to one or the other and we choose to submit ourselves Either to the demands of the flesh, or to the leading of the spirit. We are always submitting. The flesh is demanding and self-centered, and it attempts to push us around, especially through our feelings, both physical and emotional. Our flesh refers to our physical bodies and our natural human thinking, which is based on our physical senses, what we see, hear, feel, so forth. That's our natural thinking. But the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth and supplies us with grace and power, but not through our feelings. (laughs) Our feelings were never designed to be our Lord and Master. But a lot of believers let their feelings talk them into making bad decisions. They let their feelings be their guide. And that's not a good idea. Years ago, as a young believer, I had a discussion with the Lord. I was seeking wisdom about a particular situation in my life. I don't remember what it was at this point, but I remember the lesson I learned. (laughs) He was leading me to do something in answer to my problem. I was asking for wisdom, and he was giving me the answer. And my response to him was, but I don't feel like that. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. My response to God was, I shouldn't do what you're saying because I don't feel it. (laughs) You'd be surprised how many Christians live that way. Now, I wasn't trying to be naughty or disobedient. I just assumed that I would like God's answer to my problem. (laughs) Turns out I didn't. (laughs) So I was struggling with deciding whether or not to do what God had told me because my feelings were not in agreement. Finally, he asked me a question. You had to listen when God asks questions. <laughs> he says, how many brains do your feelings have? So here he was, I was seeking God's wisdom, but I was consulting with my feelings to see if they agreed with God's wisdom. <laughs> and I answered the Lord, um None. Mm-hmm. He said, that's right. You see, Jesus does the same thing in scripture. He asks them questions, they answer, and then he says, yeah, you got it right. (laughs) Now wait. (laughs) He said, feelings have no brains. They only feel. I said, that's right. He says, so if you're consulting with your feelings, you're consulting with an idiot. (laughs) You're consulting with somebody who has no brains. Is that a good idea? let me tell you. No. (laughs) His point was, if you are seeking wisdom in a particular area, you go to the experts. Why? Because they have education and understanding and wisdom. So you want to do what they say, not what you feel. Unfortunately, our feelings can have a lot of sway over us. When God asked me this question, like I say, this was almost 40 years that I had this conversation, and I have never forgot it. (laughs) Because it is a foundation of our Christian walk. We do not walk by sight. We do not walk by feeling. We walk by faith in the truth of God's word. And so this opened my eyes to what I was actually doing. I was letting my flesh, my natural thinking, and my natural feelings talk me out of God's wisdom. But the Holy Spirit led me into the truth by His grace. And then truth and grace empowered me to do what God wanted me to do. He gave me the answer. I just had to do what He told me to do. (laughs) But believers have this kind of conflict all the time. We are constantly making choices. But are our choices based on the truth? Or are they based on our fleshly, natural thinking and our fleshly, natural feelings? Now, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with sanctification and our greater reality? <laughs> the greater reality is that we've already been sanctified and set apart unto God. Not because we feel that way, <laughs> because God says that's what He's done. We are His. I always think of sanctification as Hisness. When we say sanctification, we're usually talking about holiness, okay? When I came to the saving knowledge of Christ as a young adult, God led me to be in a holiness church. So I was indoctrinated into the theology of holiness. I did not understand holiness. What I've learned over the years is that holiness, sanctification, just means Hisness. <laughs> I'm His. My body is His. My soul is His. My spirit is His. All of me is His. I'm set apart unto him like a bride unto her husband. I am one spirit with the living God. I'm set apart from the world. I am set apart unto God. That's usually how we describe holiness. I call it hisness <laughs> because that's the reality. When Jesus comes into our heart, he brings his Father and the Holy Spirit with him. So we are full of God in our spirit, which is our true heart and our true nature. A lot of times we use the, the terminology heart, and we don't really understand what it is we're saying. Though scripture uses the word heart in several different ways. The word heart, (cardia heart, it means the center of something, it's the heart of an apple, the heart of somebody, okay? That is our spirit man. That heart is completely set apart unto God. In Jewish thought, when you said the word mind it meant mind, will, and emotions. They could also use the word heart to mean the exact thing, mind, will, and emotions. So you have to look at the context of how the word is used in order to differentiate between what it is he's trying to say. The old saints on Sunday night at church would always testify to the power of God in their life. They knew a truth. They would say, this happened and this happened, and suddenly what I knew in my head dropped into my heart, and it was real that's not our spirit. (laughs) Our spirit has all knowledge because our spirit is one spirit with the living God. Okay? Our spirit is never depressed. (laughs) Our spirit is never grumpy. Our spirit never snaps at people. Our spirit is one spirit with Jesus. Our soul, on the other hand, (laughs) our mind, will, and emotions, not so much. (laughs) Our soul, our mind, will, and emotions are what has to be changed. But when we talk about something dropping into our heart, it's the place where we believe. It's not just what we know in our head. So we have mental ascent. Yes, this is true. But all of us have have experienced revelation. Where we knew something to be true, but then suddenly the light went on and we saw it. Oh, there it is! The Word of God! Oh! That's our heart. The place where we believe. Okay, so our true heart is one with Christ. That does not need to be changed. And that's part of what we're going to talk about here. The words holy and sanctified are used interchangeably. The word holy generally refers to being without sin. It refers to being set apart for God's use and purposes. I have for you the word holy in the Webster's 1828 dictionary. It says this, Properly, it means whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions, free from sin and sinful affections, applied to the supreme being, God, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. And man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God, and his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Hence holy is used as nearly synonymous with good, pious, and godly. Now I wanted you to see this definition because this is how most theologians describe the word holy. They look at holiness or sanctification as if it's a progressive work. In fact, my holiness church taught me that. You get progressively holy. (laughs) They also tell me you get progressively saved. There's something wrong with that. (laughs) Okay? A lot of the church believes that you get more and more holy as you change your life. And that the more our hearts are purified, then less and less sin will show up in our lives. Now that sounds right, because that's the way the world works. Do to become. Do to get. Sounds like that's the way it should work. (laughs) Try hard. Work hard. Change yourself. And then your habits will change. There's only one problem with this. It doesn't work. (laughs) Even if we see some exterior success from our hard work, the truth is hard work doesn't change our heart, our mind, will, and emotions, not our spiritual heart. All of our self-effort will not produce true and lasting change. Ask anyone who's ever been on a diet. (laughs) Most people lose weight when they follow the rules, but eventually the weight is regained, and that's because they haven't experienced true change in their mind, will, and emotions. Colossians 2:23 I have it for you in the NASB. It says this: These are matters which have to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. <laughs> in other words, rules like diets or saying don't, don't drink, don't smoke Don't gamble, that does not help you at all. (laughs) I have it for you also in the New Living Translation. These rules seem wise, yes they do, because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Don't you want to sign up for that? (laughs) No, I don't! (laughs) But the truth is they provide no help in conquering a person's evil, and I put in their a definition for evil, hurtful desires. You see, the problem with this kind of thinking is that it begins with a wrong belief. The world and religion say if we have hurtful or bad habits, which is code for sins of the flesh, <laughs> then we simply need to discipline our flesh, change the flesh, and you will change your heart, right? Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. It doesn't work. (laughs) It's wrong, wrong, wrong. Working from the outside in doesn't work. It doesn't work for diets, and it doesn't work for holiness or sanctification. We can't work hard enough to produce holiness of heart. Holiness of heart doesn't come from self-effort. We aren't becoming more and more holy of heart. I was taught years ago the same exact definition that we saw. I was taught that it was a slow transformation of the heart, brought about by repenting with sorrow, by promising God to be good, by constantly rededicating myself to God over and over and over. And all of this was, and still is, completely useless in overcoming sin and the flesh. And then I was taught, aha, your problem is you're not sorry enough. If you're really sorry, truly sorry, deeply sorry, ha, then you'll be able to overcome sin and the flesh. So basically, I was taught that being sorry was the power to change. It never worked. I could never be sorry enough to change. God never said being sorry was the power to change. But that's what I had learned. And then after that, I was say, oh, you see the problem is you don't hate sin enough. So let's get busy hating sin. Hate it with all you can muster, hate sin. If you hate it enough, you'll stop doing it. Never worked, never worked. It never gave me the power to be different. Not once, (laughs) I still made mistakes. I still failed. I failed to be perfectly sinless in my performance. All of my promises, my determination, my severe treatment of the body never made me holy or without sin. I always found myself failing in one way or another. I just couldn't figure out how to make myself perfectly sinless so God would love me and accept me. (sighs) You see, that was the desire of my heart. To be sinless and acceptable to my God makes me cry. (laughs) I, like so many believers, sorrowed, sorrowed over my sins and my failures. I wanted to be different. I wanted to walk like Jesus. I wanted to present myself to God, holy and acceptable, but I just couldn't figure out how to do it. I didn't understand back then that I had already been made holy by the blood of Jesus, that my heart, my true self, my spirit man wasn't what needed to be changed. It was my understanding of holiness that needed to be changed. I thought not committing sins made me holy and acceptable. So whenever I fell short of perfection, I thought I became unholy and unacceptable to God, which is a miserable way for a believer to live. I was always trying to become more holy. I didn't understand the truth that Hebrews 10.10 says by which will God's will we have been sanctified made holy through the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus purged all sin all sin and sinfulness of us from us through the offering of the body of Jesus on the cross. Jesus made us holy in our spirit, which is our true heart, our true self, because we could never become holy or perfectly sinless by our self-effort. We can never make ourselves acceptable, God. We are made acceptable to God. So God gave us the gift of sanctification, a perfectly sinless spirit that is set apart unto him. Hebrews 10.14 says this, for by one offering, he, God, hath perfected forever them that are sanctified in our spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him, God the Father, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our holiness. He is the one who has set us aside unto himself as his bride, spotless, sinless, and without wrinkle, all in our spirit. Romans 11:16. 16. If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Jesus is both the firstfruits from the dead, and the root of Jesse. Jesus is holy, so all those who are born again are also made holy by Jesus. This is the greater reality. We aren't trying to become holy. We've already been made holy and acceptable to God by the blood of Jesus, and nothing else will make you acceptable. The truth is, most believers don't believe this. (laughs) And why should they? They still stumble, they still fall, they still sin. And some believers are actually caught in a sin. It has overtaken them, it has hold of them, and they feel trapped by it. There are many believers who are physically trapped by things like drugs, alcohol, nail biting, adultery, food, etc. All kinds of physical stuff. Now you might be thinking nail biting? Threw that in there on purpose. Is nail biting a sin? <laughs> and I'm going to say yes, and I'll tell you why. Nail-biting is not God's will for us. <laughs> God doesn't want us to be held captive by bad or hurtful uh, habits. And I really don't believe nail-biting comes from the life of God inside of us. So yes, I believe nail-biting is a sin. <laughs> but we have to remember what sin is. Sin is falling short of God's glorious perfection. We're all going to do it. okay so we don't go looking for sin we don't focus on the sin we focus on the Christ that's within okay one of my brothers used to be a terrible terrible nail biter I mean his fingers were embarrassing (laughs) they were bloody and bleeding he chewed all the way around the cuticle the quick I mean there was nothing left but you know nubs bloody nubs (laughs) and he hated it he hated it How do I stop? How do I get free from my own bad habit? He couldn't figure it out. My brother's a believer. And I believe this came from God. Somebody told him, do something different with your fingers. Go get a manicure. You see, what he was actually doing, Subconsciously, I guess, manicuring his fingernails all of the time. (laughs) Down to nothing. (laughs) Because he had tried everything to break this habit. You know, sprays and gels and, you know, rubber bands and the whole thing he had tried over and over. He didn't want to do it, but he was always doing it. And how can I be free from nail biting? (laughs) And the answer was, Think different and do different. Because he had met another believer who said, go get manicures. See if that doesn't help you stop biting your nails. And he was really surprised. He started getting manicures. He had somebody do his nails. And he was like, wow, wow, these are beautiful. (laughs) Wow, this is nice. Look, healthy, healthy. He wanted to be healthy. First of all, thinking that he could be free and doing something different brought freedom into his life. Now it took him years to get to that point <laughs> but it doesn't have to take us years to get to that point. We can choose to look to the greater reality of who and what we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning with verse 16 the Apostle Paul talks about how he and Timothy dealt with suffering. It says this, that's why we are not discouraged. No, even if outwardly we are wearing out, inwardly, we are being renewed each and every day. This light, temporary nature of our suffering is producing for us an everlasting weight of glory, far beyond any comparison, because we do not look for the things that can be seen, but for the things that cannot be seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen or cannot be seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul could stay out of discouragement and depression by simply looking at the greater realities of that which was eternal. He didn't let his hardships rule over his perspective. He chose to see the greater realities that were available, whether they were close at hand or far out into eternity. He realized that God was renewing his inward strength even in the midst of a trial, and that God would use those struggles even for his advantage all the way in to eternity. What I like about this scripture is that we can also apply it to our struggles with sin and the flesh. Because really, when you're suffering, what is it that is suffering? Your flesh. (laughs) Your spirit man is not suffering. Your spirit man is one with Christ. So We can apply this to our flesh in terms of sin as well. Outwardly, we may not look like we are more than conquerors. But God is happy to give us the grace we need to strengthen us For each and every temptation. God has a grace for every temptation. And if we begin to realize the greater reality of who we are in and through the Lord Jesus, that truth has the ability to change our perspective about our temptations. And like the Apostle Paul, we can call our afflictions or temptations light and momentary. The Apostle Paul knew the greater reality of his sanctification and righteousness. He knew the reality of being dead to sin, but alive to God. This is one of the key realities that we need to let sink down deep into our understanding. It's a truth that we know, but it needs to be a truth that we live, because it is true. And when this truth becomes real to us, it will change our choices. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul relates all of these truths beginning in verse 1. What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the same question. Why shouldn't I let sin run amok in my life? (laughs) And Verse 2, he answers that question. God forbid! How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? I like this because he's not talking about doing sin. You see, sin sin for the sinner comes out of who they are. They sin because they're sinners. Okay, we sin because we're deceived. (laughs) Same reason Eve sinned. She's deceived about something. Okay, we don't live in sin anymore. I know we call young people who live together without marriage living in sin. No, no. If they're living in sin, it means they're not born again. Unfortunately, there are young people today born again who choose to live in that situation. But that doesn't make them in sin. (laughs) <laughs> they're still in Christ <laughs> and they're following after their flesh. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? This is a great picture. When I really got the revelation, I died. Hallelujah, I died. The old me is dead. <laughs> he doesn't exist. It's a reality that changes the way we walk. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. I love that. Even so. You know what even so means? In the same way. (laughs) In the same way I was buried in baptism and by the glory of God my Father, He raised me to brand new life. Sin no longer lives in me. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Even so, we should walk in the newness of life. The same as Jesus. The same as Jesus. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Unbelievers don't have any qualms about sinning. (laughs) They sin because they're sinners. But when Christians sin, we hate it. It's not who we are. And that's his point. We should not follow after our flesh. We should not serve this sin because we died to it. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. This is the greater reality. There's no sin in me. (laughs) I don't have to bow to my flesh. I am sin free. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's not in heaven. That's not when we die. That's now. (laughs) Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death no more hath dominion over him. That's us too. That's us too. Because what do we reap? Death, destruction, corruption. He says that doesn't have dominion over you. It can't make you. It can't be your boss. You have to submit. Verse 10. For in that he died, Jesus, he died unto sin once. I love this, I love this, I love this, because forever I didn't know it. I thought I had to kill myself every single day. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Why can't I die? (laughs) I didn't understand the greater reality. I've already done all the dying I'm going to do. Yep, someday I'm going to unzip this earth suit. But I'm not dying. (laughs) I'm translating into a whole different kingdom. (laughs) But he that liveth, liveth unto God. That is the reality. Christians, believers, they want to be pleasing to God. They want to do whatever he wants us to do. We do. We really, really do. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. (laughs) most Christians don't believe that this is a reality because they don't feel it they don't feel like they're victorious they don't feel it (laughs) remember what feelings are? (laughs) brainless consultants (laughs) okay we don't ask our feelings if what God says is true we ask the spirit who always bears witness with the truth Therefore, he says, let not sin, therefore reign. Where does it reign? In your mortal body. It doesn't touch your spirit. It reigns in your mortal body, or at least it wants to. That ye should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments. Years ago, I found out that this word would be equally correct, translated as weapons. <laughs> our members, our body. Our weapons, <laughs> okay? Now, how do we use these weapons? They can either be weapons of mass destruction, <laughs> because what does sin do? It destroys, it corrupts, it brings ruin. Sin is a weapon of mass destruction, <laughs> okay? Instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield, see? We have to submit. Yield ourselves, our bodies, as those that are alive from the dead And your members as weapons of mass production of righteousness unto God. That's who we are. We yield to the righteousness, the holiness that we are comes out in our body. We are weapons of righteousness. (laughs) Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law. The law can't go around poking us, telling us how big a failure we are. We're not under the law. But we're under grace. And grace empowers us verse 15 what then here it is again shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace god forbid (laughs) he says what know ye not (laughs) that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servant ye are to whom you obey either we're weapons of the mass destruction or we are weapons of mass production of righteousness verse 17 but god be thanked God be thanked that ye were, you used to be servants of sin, but ye have obeyed or believed from the heart that former doctrine which was delivered to you. Verse 18: "Being then made free from sin and its power, ye became servants of righteousness. You see, that's why sin bothers us, because the righteous is now who we are. And something inside of us says, that's not who I am. (laughs) I am not sinful. I do not partake of those things because I recognize that is a weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) And I am a weapon of righteousness. (laughs) Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. That means we're a little slow. That's what that means. (laughs) For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, it means we used to, and to iniquity unto iniquity. In other words, sin just gets worse. People who are in sin, their sin gets worse and worse and worse until it overtakes them and their life is ruined. Even so, now, yield, remember, servants to righteousness unto holiness are set apartness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Sinners don't care if they sin, that bother them a bit <laughs> because that's who they are. Believers, it bothers us because it's not who we are. Verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are not ashamed? Aha, uh-huh, see that's sowing and reaping. <laughs> For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the goal everlasting life. This is the same thing as sowing and reaping. We're going to sow of the flesh which is corruption, destruction, and death and nothing good. Or we can sow to the spirit and reap God's kind and quality of life. I've read several books over the years by men grace ministers whose ministry is specifically to help people who find themselves overtaken by some kind of sin. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, cigarettes, etc. Even nail-biting. <laughs> and they all say that the key to being free from these weapons of mass destruction is to understand that as believers, we have already died to those things. And when the light goes on, that we really are free. We really are sinless. We really are righteousness. We really are acceptable to God. That greater reality becomes real. And then when it becomes real, freedom happens. Freedom happens. And they begin walking according to their righteousness and their holiness. But say, it is the truth that sets us free the truth of what he's done to us and for us. We have a greater reality on the inside of us. We have been made holy. Jesus has sanctified us. We are sinless and set apart unto God for his plans and purposes. And his plans and purposes for us are life and life more abundantly. At the beginning of this message, I asked the question, so if God is not counting our sins against us, then why not just let sin run amok? The first reason I gave you was the law of sowing and reaping. But the second reason I have for you is we don't let sin run amok in our lives because it's not who we are. We are no longer sinners. We have died to sin and we are alive to God. He has made us wholly sinless, and set apart for Him and His plans and purposes. And the more we look into this greater reality, the more holiness will show up in our life. When we recognize, when we believe, when that goes from something we know in our head to something we know in our heart, mind, will, and emotions, <laughs> it becomes real in our life. It has fruit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says this. But as he, God the Father, which hath called you is holy, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be ye holy for I am holy. Isn't it interesting that both Peter and God did not say do holy. That is the implication here. He wants holiness us being set apart unto God for his plans and his purposes and his glory. That's the implication do holy. That's not what he said. He said, be. Be holy wherever you go. Be holy in every place of your life. Be what you already are. We don't have to work to become holy. We be. (laughs) We be holy. And everywhere we go then, holiness, sinlessness, righteousness shows up in our life. Because when we go to a situation where Satan comes with his weapon of mass destruction and says, do this, we go, no, I'd be holy. <laughs> that is not God's plans and purposes for my life. I'd be holy. <laughs> when we get the revelation of what we are and how powerful we are in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, sin starts taking a walk because we no longer submit to its lies then we are powerless against it. So many Christians say, I feel powerless. You don't know the truth. You need to get a revelation. You be holy. (laughs) You be holy because you are. If we believe we are powerless against sin in the flesh because of how we feel, then that is what we will experience. What we believe is everything. But if I believe I am sinless and pure, dead to sin, and set apart unto God for his plans, his purposes, and his glory god says then i am not going to let weapons of mass destruction into my life i'm going to continue to focus on the greater reality within my spirit and let the holy spirit bring forth god's kind and quality of life amen father god we thank you for this truth i thank you father god i don't have to work hard to be holy and to be acceptable you have invited me to live in your presence you've invited me to live in the holy of holies you've invited me to be what you are holy sinless pure spotless i thank you father god that through the lord jesus christ we are the spotless bride of christ and we are one spirit with the lord jesus christ and with god our father and the holy spirit we thank you father god that we are full of god and there is no way that we are powerless against the flesh and against sin We thank you, Father God, that you have made us more than a conqueror. You did all the conquering, and you handed it to us as a gift. We thank you, Father God, that that's the truth of who we are. We are more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.